We are continuing on our King's series this morning, so even as the ushers are serving you, if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles. If you need to grab one, your Bible or your checkbook, I would say grab both, okay? So if you would, grab your Bibles right now. Go ahead and pull them out. This is a series that we're moving through fairly quickly. This is a deeper, a little bit heavier, a little bit thicker, a little bit of chewing has to go on as part of this series. And so I've asked that you would bring your Bibles for this series and, and that we would read through the scripture together. Uh, we are coming up on the end of it. We probably have about three weeks left after today. Uh, and so we'll go back to uh, uh, having the scriptures up on the screen. But for this series, every now and then, something I like to do is have us read these stories together. So go ahead, grab your Bibles this morning. Once you have them, open it up to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We are reading the stories of the kings from the line of David down to Jesus, okay? So, so we're reading through these stories, um, and as we do that, we're kind of trying to mine those things that, that are there for us uh, to pull out. So once you grab it, open it up to 2 Chronicles chapter 26 today. I will say, I, I need to admit this right up front, that as we've been going through this, it's kind of morphed a little bit. This series has morphed. And I've decided my new favorite thing as part of this series. My new favorite thing as part of this series is giving each story a name. And so this morning, and I normally don't title, I, I do title the sermons as, we, as uh, we're going through a series, but I don't ever share them with the congregation, but, um, so it's kind of like a secret. You have to go on, website, on the website to figure it out anyways. But for today and for this series, I think the revelation of the name may be my favorite part, okay? So here it comes, prepare thyself. And yes, I said that in King James because it's appropriate. Here we go. The name for today's story is this, Beyond the Veil of the Leper King. That was appropriate. Ooh, okay, Second Chronicles chapter 26 we're reading the story of the 10th king after the, the split of the kingdoms. His name was Uzziah. I was telling somebody that we were, we were reading about Uzziah today, and they said, oh, yeah, 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 the king who died. I was like, well, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, because Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Better known for dying than for living. So, Let's read a little bit about his living. Open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We'll start right in verse 1. The life of King Uzziah, king of Judah. Here's what it says, verse 1. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. Okay, so there's several, like, formulas that you find in Chronicles. And one of them is typically at the beginning of a king's reign, you find, and he was this year old or this age when he became king, and he was king for this length of time. So that's a typical formula. Another formula that if you find it tells you something about it is the formula of this. If they say, if you find in there that the people took this person and made them a king, it gives an indication that there's a ton of, it's a tumultuous time. Okay. So that means there's something, there's upheaval that's going on. And that's exactly what's going on for Uzziah. While he becomes made king, his father is still king. Okay? Amaziah was a decent king, for the most part, until he conquered Edom. Went down, conquered them, and decided to bring back their idols and worship them. 
And so a prophet comes to him and goes, what are you thinking? You went down there, conquered a people, and then took their idols and worshipped them? Does that make any sense to you at all? It didn't work for them. You think it's going to work for you? It's a failed system. And yet that's who you're going to worship. So as a result of that, Israel, the northern tribes, come down and attack Judah. And, and they break into Jerusalem. They sack the city. It's, it's, and, and probably as a result of that, they, they install Uzziah as king. Amaziah kind of goes into an exile to a, a town called Lachish. And while he's there, he's hiding out. Turns out they find him and assassinate him. This is all happening while Uzziah has been made king. He's co-regent with his father for, we don't know exactly how long, but at least for a little while. And so this is the situation in which Uzziah becomes king. In fact, I want to show you something else. We're going to uh, uh, mirror this iPad super fast because I want to show you, we go through this really quick, and so a lot of times uh, you don't necessarily see it. You don't have to see all of these things, but this is the line of David down towards Jesus. We just pulled this from Matthew chapter 1. Something that's super interesting, though, is that when you read Matthew chapter 1, there are some kings that are missing. There are three kings that are just gone. And people have different ideas of who those or why those kings are gone. Here's what we do know. It's Uzziah's father. It's Uzziah's grandfather. And it's Uzziah's great-grandfather. And some people say that the reason why these kings are missing from the line of David in Matthew chapter 1 is that Matthew is trying to tell us something about those kings. And there's probably something that can be said for them. Some people say that the reason why they're missing from that line is because of Athaliah, which we've talked about recently, this woman who was brought into the line of Judah, married one of the kings, and, and as a result, they say that the reason why, why these kings are missing is they wanted to scrub her existence out, and so they remove the three, here she is right here, she's in red, because she's so evil. She's not just evil, she's evil. And so some people say that that's why these kings are missing. We don't know, but you know what that looks like to me as we zoom out and look at it? That looks to me like the line of David is broken. It looks like to me that it's hanging by a thread, like it's just barely hanging on as a result of Athaliah trying to kill the line of David out. It definitely looks to me like there's been a period of dark times, and it is the case. For the last 60 years before Uzziah becomes king is probably the darkest time in, in the kingdom of Judah because of the fact that, well, Uzziah's father was assassinated. Uzziah's grandfather was assassinated. Uzziah's great-grandfather, after a year on the throne, is a killed, assassinated. Over and over and over again, for the last 60 years, is a dark, bloody period in Judah, which is unheard of prior to this time. And Uzziah becomes king at the age of 16. And what do you think he's thinking? My dad, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. Oh, this should work out well for me. <laughs> but it's a dark, dark time. And he is made king in the midst of this kind of dark time and coming out of it. Okay, so this is the reign of King Uzziah. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. Verse 2, he built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his father. So this means that his dad finally died, and at this point he takes Eloth, rebuilds it, 
and restores it to Judah. Remember that name, Eloth, okay? We're going to come back to it. Verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. So, Kind of a good report, but also not exactly resounding, because it's as his father Amaziah had done, right? So, so kind of a good report, kind of not. Verse 5. But he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. We kicked this series off talking about King Asa, and, and, and what we talked about was the fact that God's eyes, that he is looking to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking those whose hearts are fully his, those who are seeking him. Remember that? And, and so it says here that when he does that, he comes to their strong support. So what we're finding here is that's what happens with Uzziah. He set himself to seek God, and so God made him prosper. And he does that all of the days of Zechariah. We don't know who this Zechariah is. We know it's not the guy who wrote the book, Zechariah. There's like 30 Zechariahs in the Bible. <laughs> so this is just a common name. We don't know who this Zechariah. This is the only place he's mentioned. But he instructed him in the fear of God. So the awe, the reverence, the, the, the respect of the Lord. And all the days that he seeks God, that he has that fear of God in him, God helps him to prosper. And then it continues on and it tells us more about that. Verse 6. He went out and he made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbaal and against the Munites. And the Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Okay, so we read these names, and a lot of times we don't know what in the world it's talking about. So it doesn't mean anything to us. Okay, so what I want us to do is to actually slow down and see what this is talking about. So um, it, some of these cities and stuff that we hear of, I, I showed you this map several weeks ago. This was during Jehoshaphat, and I was walking through. Okay, so uh, after Solomon, the nation splits in two. In the, in the north, you have Israel. I want to make sure it's up there, okay? In the south, you have Judah, okay? Here's what people noticed when, when we showed this map last time, something I got feedback on. Wow, Judah's a lot smaller than I thought it was, right? Because you read these stories, and it doesn't necessarily mean a ton to us. The other thing that's really, I notice when I look at it, is how landlocked Judah is. How surrounded by their enemies they are. I mean, it's a smaller nation here surrounded by enemies. Here's what it says Uzziah does. He conquers Gath. Does anybody know who was from Gath? Goliath. That's the Philistines. And so it says that he conquers Gath. So, so that's this area over here. And they build cities in Philistia. And, and he takes control of this area. It's kind of a big deal. And then it says that the Ammonites actually pay tribute to him. Ammon's over here. So if Ammon's over here then that means all of this area here he has somehow has control over. OK? 
Okay, we don't know how that happens, but somehow it happens. It doesn't give us all the details. But then it says that he uh, uh, also God gives them uh, a victory over the Muonites and over the Arabians. Well, here's where that is. If we zoom way out, you look, that's to the south. So he has victories to his west. He has victories to his east. And he has victories to the south. So all of this area now is Judah. And it says that he rebuilt Eloth. The reason why I wanted us to pause and look at this is that Eloth, we know exactly where this is. Eloth is right here. Why do you think that's important? Well, this is a vital city. It gives them access to the Red Sea. Okay? It says in 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 26 through 28, that from Eloth, Solomon, which it hasn't been in the control of Judah for, for uh, centuries, it says that Solomon actually from Eloth sent out ships and they went to a place called Ophir. We don't know exactly where this place is, but it says that these ships came back with 16 tons of gold. So, vital location, Eloth. And in fact, even if you were to go to Israel today, they still control a very similar look like this. Why? Because they want to control what is now Elath. Or, or, and, and so they want to be able to have access to that. And, and to, the, to this day, of course, we have the Suez Canal because then you get from the Indian Ocean, the east side of Africa, up into the Mediterranean Sea. So here's what I'm trying to show you. Prior to Uzziah, they're landlocked, surrounded by their enemies. Now... They have access to the south. They have access to the east, the Transjordanian Highway. And they have access to the Mediterranean Sea, which is where you find Tarshish, which is where you find another major trading hub. Okay, we have not seen this kind of, of expansion since King David. Uzziah, the king that we know better for dying than living presided over the greatest military expansion in hundreds of years for Judah. He expanded to the east, he expanded to the west, and he expands to the south. Okay? Let's keep reading. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbaal and against the Muonites. And the Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt. Which is, okay, this is a big deal too because when was, the last time we hear a phrase like that was 1 Chronicles chapter 14 verse 7 which was talking about King David. So all the way down to the line with Egypt you see this expansion. He presides over the greatest military expansion since David. It continues on. It says, and he, and he uh, verse 9, Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem, at the corner gate, and at the valley gate, and at the angle, and he fortified them. Okay, so, so here's the thing about Jerusalem. At the time, again, Amaziah, his father, Jerusalem was sacked during his lifetime. The corner gate was destroyed at that point. So he rebuilds what had failed during Amaziah's reign. But then he's building also, that's the northwest of Jerusalem, of Jerusalem, He also builds in the southeast of Jerusalem, and we don't know exactly why this is. One thing that's really interesting, this is bonus, but one thing that's really interesting is that during Uzziah's reign, there was an earthquake. We know this because it talks about it in Amos chapter 1, verse 1. It 
talks about in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. So there's this massive earthquake. Archaeologists have gone back and looked at the rubble and those things that they've discovered. They've said it was probably about an 8.2 on the Richter scale. And it was generated, or the, 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 the area where it started was north of Judah, but there was this, and in fact in Zechariah it talks about it like you will not have an earthquake like the, the apocalyptic earthquake that we're talking about except for since the days of Uzziah. So this was a massive earthquake. So maybe the reason why he's rebuilding Jerusalem was because of this earthquake. We don't know for sure. But he's not only a military expansionist, he's also a builder. And he sees, oversees the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Verse 10. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in, in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. So not only is he an a military expansionist, not only is he rebuilding Jerusalem, but he's also advancing the agricultural uh, uh, situation in Judah. This is a big deal because, again, this, this phrase, I love that phrase, he loved the soil. I love the personal nature of it. It kind of gives this impression like he walked out and he would just grab the dirt and let it run through his fingers. He loved the soil. You don't find a phrase like this about anybody else except for him and King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 33. What an interesting thing. So he's an ex military expansionist in the way King David was. But he's also got this deep passion for agriculture, kind of like Solomon. Keep reading. Verse 11. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war. In divisions, according to the numbers in the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Maaseah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. And the whole number of the heads of the father's houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Verse 14, and Uzziah prepared for all the army shields and spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. So, so here's the thing. His army was no bigger than his father's. In fact, it was actually a little bit smaller when you read it. Smaller than his dad's, but in spite of that fact, he did much more with it. And there's a couple reasons for that. All of a sudden, you have the names of his officers, which you again have not seen since David. So there's an administrative component to the military that we have not seen before in hundreds of years. And beyond that, there's also this idea that he, it says that he equipped them well with spears and helmets, coats of mail, bows and stones, which seems kind of simple. Like you cannot imagine today sending the army out without equipping them. But truly, a lot of times when you're reading in scripture and it says they mustered the army, that means they called everybody up and they took whatever rusted swords and weapons and plows or whatever they could get and they went off to war with them. Everybody was expected to prepare their own and bring their own weapons along with them. And so now you see that he's like, let's make this army a little more professional, shall we? And as a result, they expand. And, and it says this kind of in indication that, again, that it, they make mighty power, with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. He is a warrior king, unmatched since David. And then it continues on. Verse 15. In Jerusalem, 
He made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. Now, we don't know exactly what that looked like. Some people say that they were like trebuchets of some sort. Some people say that they were like fortifications, special fortifications that people could shoot arrows down from without exposing themselves and throw rocks down and stuff like that to protect the city. So, so but here, read it again. They invented stuff. So we're seeing technological advance during the reign of Uzziah. So you've got agricultural and technological. He's like a scholar king, unmatched since Solomon. And you keep reading, and it says, here's the reason why. And his fame spread far. Again, phrase that you don't hear about anybody but Solomon and David. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Marvelously helped. Marvelously. Your, fra- your translation might say tremendously. Extraordinarily. He was, there was something else behind the scenes that was helping him until he was made strong. He was marvelously helped. Goes back to that same passage. God's eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole earth. Seeking those that he might be able to come in strong support of. So there's someone behind the throne who is marvelously helping Uzziah until he was strong. Verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. The words translated as he grew proud, his heart was lifted up. His heart was lifted up, which I wish we could just stop and pay attention to that one phrase. His heart was lifted up to his undoing, to his destruction, to his demise. Here's how that happened. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. So we don't know exactly what Uzziah was trying to do here. Like, is he trying to assert his Uh, like authority over the religious realm he's already the technological advancer and the agricultural developer and the military expansionist and now he's like but there's still I don't have control over the religion we don't know if that's what it is we do know that it's related to his pride that his heart was lifted up there is a, a Jewish historian who actually talked about the fact that this was on the day of atonement we're not entirely sure because it doesn't say in scripture But if it was on the Day of Atonement, that means he was going into the temple and he was grabbing the censer full of coals, incense, from that table of incense. It could be, here it says on, it might say from, either translation could work. So maybe that's what the case is, we don't know for sure. But he could have been bringing it into the most holy place, the holy of holies, and bringing it as that one day offering That was only for the high priest to do. Regardless, he oversteps his bounds. He does something he should not have. 
out of pride, out of the fact that he forgot his place, which isn't that the case sometimes. Somewhere in there, we forget the fact that we were marvelously helped. We think that we're responsible for it, that I'm strong because I'm the one who made me strong. That's what happens to Uzziah. Somewhere in there, he forgets the fear, the, raw, the, the awe, the respect, the, the reverence for God. And he says, well, I can do it. And goes to the place that he was not supposed to go. Here's what happens. Verse 19. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had the censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah and the chief priests and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. Yeah, I think so. Now, again, that same, we don't know what this looked like exactly, that same historian who said, that uh, this was happening on the Day of Atonement, said that what actually happened was that earthquake we just talked about, which we know happened, happened at this moment. And that what happened was part of the wall of the temple fell in and sunlight beamed in and hit him on the forehead, and at that moment he was struck leprous. The Day of Atonement, an earthquake, and he is struck with leprosy. And he sees it, and they see it, and they rush him on out of there. Keep reading, and it says, And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. So, so now King Uzziah from then on was quarantined. He was unclean. He couldn't go into the temple. His son had to take over the daily rulership of Judah because he couldn't even go to, 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 uh, to lead. He needed to be in a separate house all by himself for the rest of his days. And so he starts as a co-regent with a failed father, and now his son is co-regent with a failed father. And Uzziah, this great military expansionist, spends the rest of his days cut off from everybody else. Verse 22. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote. And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings, for they said, he is a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. So they don't bury him in the tombs, they bury him in the field beside the tombs. So everybody who walks by says, there's the tombs of the kings, and there's the burial spot of Uzziah the leper. Quarantined not only in life, but now in death, for he was a leper. And this great king, who presided over the greatest military expansion since David, and technological and agricultural advance since Solomon, the great warrior king, scholar king, becomes known as the leper king. Better known for dying than for living. And I read this story and 
I recognize that the fault was with Uzziah and probably the reason why he was struck with leprosy was, I mean, he certainly overstepped his bounds. He lost sight of his, the awe and the reverence and the respect for the living God. He did something that was only for the consecrated priests to do. And really what it comes down to is he tried to go to an area in the temple that he did not belong. And I've heard people preach on this before. And the way they've preached on it, or I've heard it preached before, is they'll say, this is why we need to worship God the way he wants to be worshipped, which is so very true. But a lot of times when I hear a pastor say that, what they're really saying is, we need to worship God the way I want him to be worshipped. Which, I don't know that I would go there. What I hear when I read this is something, I don't know, more. Because on Friday, I had a rough day. I was in a bad mood. I was short with my wife, short with my kids. And no one was to blame for it but me and me alone. And yet this morning I came in, in the presence of God. And I'm not leprous. And if God wanted to hit me with leprosy on my forehead, he has a nice big target. <laughs> it's called male pattern baldness. If he wanted me leprous, I would be leprous. And I can think of at least three occasions this week where I caught myself in the middle of an action or a thought or a phrase where I said, oh no, that was pride. And I think, boy, I bet you every single one of us in this room this week did something that should make us unworthy to worship the living, awesome God. And yet, not one of us this morning was struck with leprosy in his presence. And you want to know why? Because of a different day of atonement and because of a different earthquake. Matthew chapter 27. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. You see, we are beyond the veil of the leper king. And it has everything to do with what was accomplished here. And every single one of us should come into the presence of God. And let me just be very clear. We are coming into the presence. He has not changed. He is as holy and as righteous as he always was. 
and yet now we come. And I'm not saying we come timidly. It's just the opposite. We come boldly. But boy, I think sometimes because of the routine of it, that it becomes mundane, that it becomes run-of-the-mill every single time that we come to worship God. We need to have awe and respect, not just at this God who is perfect, but the path that he made for us to be able to come. And every single time we come with great gratitude in our hearts, and as we begin to sing to this awesome God, we have no fear that we will be struck with leprosy. Why? Because even though we deserve it, it was put on Jesus Christ. He was the one who was separated so that we never would be. And we also, Uzziah came and on his own for whatever reason, pride definitely was a part of it, decided to behold the glory of God, and as a result was struck with leprosy. And yet, we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. See, it is no small thing to worship our God. And it is no small thing to have a path prepared for us to come into that presence so that we don't come timidly, we come boldly. It is no small thing to be beyond the veil of the leper king. And yet often when I come, I feel like I have that leprosy on my forehead. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But often when I come, I feel like, boy, I don't deserve to be here. Boy, I really shouldn't be worshiping the Lord right now. And so... Instead of worshiping the way I normally would, I back off just a little bit. Because I think everybody around me can see what is branded on my forehead. The failure and the sin and the weakness and the reasons why I should not come. And you know what I say to God every time I come like that? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was not enough for me. I also need to earn it. I need to be good enough in order to come into your presence. And if the greatest king since David and Solomon could not be good enough to come into the presence of God, do you think you or I could? It is just by his grace. It is just by his mercy it is just by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ we come. And so when we come, we come just with grateful hearts to this God. And I think every now and then we need a reminder of that. I think every now and then we need to be reminded that you cannot be good enough. But that's okay. Because Jesus took the leprosy for you. And now... You automatically, having accepted Jesus Christ, are beyond the veil of the leper king. That curtain was rent in two from top to bottom. 
because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. Let us be reminded of that. Hallelujah. Father.